Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Movie, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe for a free 30-day subscription. All you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. We also have Bill Graham. Oh, 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 oh. And joining us once more here today to talk about First Cow, Kelly Reichert, it is Alex Haney. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back again. Shockingly. <laughs> I am always surprised when someone wants to come back on this show. And you, at this point, might have done it more than anyone else. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So, good on you, because that's, that's an accomplishment. She's like, well, you guys are good to your guests. <laughs> uh, can you say that again just so we have clean audio of <laughs> You guys are good to your guests. You let us talk. I've been on podcasts where they just talk nonstop and you're like, why am I here? Um, or they talk over you. That is and- so good to hear because I am constantly concerned about that. <laughs> oh, boy. No. Yeah. Uh, we have we guests are, here to give us a break. We are good to guests. Yeah. We, are, yeah. we only talk over each other. That's, that's what we do. <laughs> the guests, we give like a wide berth, but all the rest of each other, we're just like, yeah, I know, Bill. Fuck that guy. What? Huh? What are you saying? <laughs> I am terrified of dead space, so that is the only reason I anxiously talk sometimes. So you people do know like, we have an editor, right? <laughs> I don't edit, edit this anymore. Are you kidding me? Ever since I figured out how to put the audio in live, I just kicked the shit out over the airwaves. <laughs> well, we were doing YouTube for a little while. That kind of stopped. I don't know why. Um, I did ah. the. So yeah, we had been live broadcasting. I think like we the last two. <laughs> We weren't really getting any listeners. I don't know if like those things post on YouTube. So maybe people were finding us after the fact, but like I'm in such a state today, particularly that I'm like, I just can't with this bullshit right now. I don't, I might need to edit out some things that I've said. So that's fun for the listeners. Uh, Try to figure out if I've taken down anything that I said that I regret. Then we'll get into that in our COVID corner. Um, Alexini, why don't you tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm the editor-in-chief of Seventh Row, which is an online film publication and publishing house. And we just recently released an ebook on Kelly Reichardt and First Cow called uh, Roads to Nowhere, uh, Kelly Reichardt's Broken American Dreams. And it's a book that is about Kelly Reichardt's entire filmography. We've got essays on each of her films, but there's um, a case study and strong focus on First Cow because we actually talked to all of her key collaborators on that. So we talked to um, the two leads in the film, Orion Lee and John Magaro, as well as Lily Gladstone, who has a tiny part in the film, but is the star of Certain Women. Uh, we also talked to um, John Raymond, her co-writer, uh, her costume designer, production designer, cinematographer, uh, even the animal trainer, uh, sound designer, the composer, William Tyler. Um, And so it's a really complete look at how 
Reichardt makes her films through the lens of how she made First Cow. And then we also sort of dig into all of her other films and uh, draw connections and find some um, shared DNA, I guess, across them. Awesome. And uh, once again, if people are interested in that book, where can they find it? Yeah, it's at uh, reichartbook.com. That's reichartbook.com. Awesome. Anyway, Alex is here, as I said, to help us talk about First Cow, the newest film from Kelly Reichert, who uh, we've talked about previously on this here podcast. Uh, I believe uh, our only full review for her was Night Moves, a movie that I quite Hmm. enjoyed. Certain Women was in my top 10 2016 27 i can't remember when it was at festivals and when it was out for normal people but it was out for normal people wow it was normal people <laughs> i'm it a normie in 2016 with the normies. i thought it's sundance well, okay but so then it came <laughs> out in 2016 for normies as well uh in the u.s i think so yeah in canada it was not until 2017 yeah it came out Wait, in the fall of 2016 canada I am in Canada. Oh, Bill, oh, you don't okay. remember that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you thought she was just bringing up not. Canada for no reason? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, that's why I asked to make sure that she wasn't. <laughs> I don't, I, uh, I don't know if she's close to Canada or in Canada. Came so. out in Bahrain <laughs> in 2022. I mean, I was in the U.S. in 2016, but I, I am Canadian, and now I'm back in Canada. Hmm. Okay, cool. good to know. Um, what was I going to say? I clicked on the certain women IMDb page and it tells me up front when it was released in France, which I don't know why, but it was February (laughs) of 2017. So, okay. Anyway. Oh God. It's already one of these episodes, isn't it? Yep. 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 Fantastic. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at film state show, Facebook, the film state show, go to patreon.com slash film state show to give us your money for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our Slack channel where we now have a food channel. Which is also somehow turning into a politics channel. <laughs> Every time we add a new channel, it just happens again, which is terrible. Um, Allison Roman discourse coming soon. <laughs> is she the one who like hated on Marie Kondo? Yes, but she's also the one who's like fusion culture, but I'm not giving credit to any cultures. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> I have not had time to follow that controversy. I look yeah, forward to Googling you, you don't it. Don't need to. No, don't. don't. No, at three You're o'clock right. in the morning when I can't sleep and I am, as the kids say, doom scrolling. I really feel like <laughs> reading about that will help me. Um, what else? You can email us podcast at filmstage.com and uh, give us a comment or reading on iTunes. Also, don't forget. That we are brought to you by Mubi. Every day Mubi premieres a new film. Whether it's a Thomas Classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of. And uh, there's always something new to discover. They have curators who pick their films. So unlike other places where you are at the whims of the algorithm, uh, Mubi actually has films that its people might want to see. I wanted to highlight two for y'all today. One is the Portuguese film A Woman's Revenge. Roberto is a handsome, wealthy man of the world. He's arrogant and easily bored, yet one evening his attention is attracted by a prostitute who turns out to be a missing noblewoman. She tells her story, a marriage without passion, an affair, a shocking murder, and ultimate revenge. 
So that sounds freaking awesome. And then this is like a pet director that I really like, Roger Michelle of the United Kingdom. Um, his 2013 film La Weekend is currently on Mubi. The synopsis is as followed. A long-married middle-class British couple attempts to reinvigorate their marriage by visiting Paris for the first time since their honeymoon. While there, they run into an old friend who acts as a catalyst for them to recapture their youthful fearlessness, lack of responsibility, and idealism. Uh, Roger Michel has done uh, movies such as uh, The Mother, Enduring Love, and Changing Lanes. <clears throat> and Hyde Park on Hudson. Three but we're not going to talk about that. very similar movies. <laughs> yes, all those movies just really are of a piece. Um, but yeah, he's a director that I really like. He's a, I, I don't know, he's like still B tier for me, but like in a very interesting way. Um, I keep trying to think of like what one of my A tier directors would be so I could say like not him, but like a step below. But I just don't want to make Michael Snydell angry this early in the episode. So I'm not going to say any of them. <laughs> So if you would like he a free, he did uh, Morning Glory, which is uh, which I enjoy that movie. Was that with uh, Harrison Ford <laughs> and Rachel McAdams? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Clearly, I need to see that because um, I am deeply in love with both of those actors. Anyway, <laughs> if you would like a free 30 day subscription to movie to check out what it's all about, you can by going to M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage. Again, that is M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage. Before we begin, as always, uh, we do our little COVID corner update. See how we're all doing. Uh, anyone got any uh, new situations, new stories they want to throw at us before we get into our review of First Cow? I got something. Yeah. I got oh, something. What's up? Cool. Go ahead, Phil. All right. So this might take just a little bit, oh, but... No. No. Um, <laughs> Here's some doomsday scrolling for you, Brian. Um, A couple of weeks ago, about a month, month and a half ago, I think, um, the owner, creator of CrossFit, sent out a tweet that uh, lit the CrossFit world on fire. Um, (laughs) I already hate this story. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, uh, he had a couple of emails. He had... He's got a very checkered and interesting past. Um, He's kind of just – he speaks before he thinks and being a owner of a massive global company like that, not the best guy to kind of lead. Um, God, can you imagine if we had someone like that for president? That would just be mm, a nightmare. (laughs) It it certainly fucking would. Um, Yeah, so – he got in a lot of hot water very quickly. Uh, Jim started pulling affiliations. Uh, games athletes started saying that they were going to not go to the games. All of this happened within the span of uh, a week, week and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, sh- long story short, he ended up having to sell the company Um and it's now owned by another CrossFitter uh, named Eric Rosa, who bought the company outright. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people are really fucking happy and excited about this because it's a big new change when this guy is, 
kind of ruled with an iron fist. It didn't seem like he was ever going to back down. And the fact that uh, under immense pressure, he ended up selling his own company was a pretty uh, interesting and exciting and also scary and a lot of things. But yeah, that was that was what was happening for the past couple of weeks uh, in CrossFit. It's been an interesting road to basically see uh, that CrossFit as a brand had gotten re- like their reputation had gotten really tarnished really quickly. I don't and think all- I ever realized that like CrossFit was a brand and that there could be like a king of CrossFit. Yep. Yes, definitely is. Yeah. CrossFit is definitely a, a methodology of training and it's branded. Interesting. So yeah, there's trainers, there's, you know, I mean, yeah. Anytime you see a CrossFit gym, they pay licensing fees for that name. That is bananas. And I love yep. that. I know that now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so now it's under new ownership and yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting, but, uh, it, it quickly got to the point where people were like, is there even going to be a CrossFit anymore? And now it's, uh, like a phoenix risen from the ashes. I just, uh, damn, I just, like I don't want to get hung up on this. I really don't, but I have so many questions now. I, I yes. do too, but we can't. <laughs> I'm just like, what happens if like it's like if what happens if McDonald's like goes down? Like, do all the McDonald's go away, or do they just get to like rename themselves and keep selling hamburgers? But you know what? Well, that that, that was that was the crazy thing about it was like uh, there are athletes out there that make money by doing professional fitness. Right. They they work out quickly is is kind of the running joke. Uh-huh. And th- some athletes were kind of quiet because basically it would be like, imagine if the MLB, the owner of the MLB suddenly said something very racial and very just charged. And all of a sudden advertisers started dropping out and all of a sudden you know, licensing deals and, you know, uh, wait, that's like literally what happened to the Redskins or I'm sorry, the Washington football team. Mm, Well, yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're changing their name, aren't they? Yeah. They're now literally the Washington football team. Mm -hmm. They're going to, they're figuring out something better, but I honestly hope that they just crackens. But but, no, the Krakens is like that's a that's like (laughs) Seattle or something. It's the Seattle Krakens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's an ice hockey uh, team. It is. It's in the NHL. Uh, I I know more about sports than I ever thought I did. (laughs) I don't know if that's an official title yet. I think they're still figuring that out. I less I had heard. But anyways, uh, what I was equating it to was basically like imagine if the MLB was suddenly lit on fire and you had a bunch of players going. Uh, I play baseball for a living. Like what, what the fuck is going on right now? Like this is how I make my money. And people are telling me like, I should, I should like, you know, join and be like, no, no more of this thing that I do for a living. Like that seems kind of scary. So yeah, no, it's a, it's a, but I'm glad that it uh, worked out that he just sold it. And again, I'm so glad that I have this weird knowledge about CrossFit now. <laughs> yes. Uh, Alex Heaney, how are things going uh, north of the border? Yeah, it's a lot better in Canada than it is in the U.S. It's like super scary where you guys are, where our cases are going down and your cases are going up. Um, This is the second week someone that we've had from another country has just rubbed it in our faces. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I think there'd be like what's happening right now where I am, which is um, the province of Ontario in Canada. I think what they're doing right now is really irresponsible. They've just reopened a lot of things. And I think there's going to be they just like allowed for indoor dining They reopen cinemas. I think it's just going to be a disaster. There's going to be a huge um, there's going to be a second wave, I think, because people still I mean, it's mandatory in Toronto to wear masks in any public indoor space, which is good but my lived experience is that at least 10 percent of people don't understand that having a piece of cloth somewhere near your face is not helpful uh that <laughs> it actually the, has to cover uh, do they do the, the chin mouth. color the chin cover thing uh a lot of people aren't covering their chins um yeah. mostly what i'm seeing is people not covering their noses yep mm. uh i at least once a day, I tell people, you realize your mask is completely useless if it doesn't cover your nose and your mouth. Um, and I think there's real ignorance about the fact that this is like an airborne virus and transmission via aerosols. So they're allowing gatherings now of 100 people. They just, I think it's just as of yesterday that they allowed this. It's a long weekend here right now. Sorry, not yesterday, Saturday. Um so it's just oh I'm what what, what is a gathering of a hundred people is is that a barbecue like what what, what are you well, doing like any, with it like any, if there's no sports well, or like a cinema concerts. but you can't go to it um yeah. but it's like it's like a cinema right could have a hundred people in it or like a restaurant uh, with yeah. like a hundred capacity yeah yeah that seems and, I don't know. That, that just seems like a bad idea right now I oh always, it is it's a terrible idea especially because. <laughs> Our case, like we still have something like a hundred new cases a day, which I know it sounds like zero. <laughs> Amateur <guys>. numbers. <laughs> where's the, get, those where's are rookie that, numbers. You got to get those numbers. I was about up. to say, where's that clip of uh, Matthew McConaughey from Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, but like they seem to, th- I don't know. It's we have the person who runs the Ontario government is the brother of. Our renowned mayor Rob Ford, who is the Toronto's crack smoking mayor, <laughs> yeah. and his his idiot brother, who is the brains behind the operation, is the, now the <laughs> the premier of the province. Oh. Um, Rob Ford, and, the Marion Barry of Canada. <laughs> oh my God! Um, so the fact that they've been doing things relatively well so far is kind of a shock. But this reopening. Like, they reopened the rest of the province, which is fine because there's, like, nobody there. But, like, Toronto is where everybody is and where a lot of the cases are. Um, And people are just really irresponsible and ignorant. Like, I'm very aware that I'm not the average person by virtue of the fact that, like, I'm a STEM PhD student um, who has research experience in modeling the spread of a pandemic disease. So, like, I'm kind of up on the science uh, but I'm also aware that most people aren't and that even mm-hmm. people who you would expect would be like healthcare workers are not up on it. So you, it's just scary, the level of ignorance of the average person. And so people are going to make, they're going to go, well, you know, movie theaters are open, so it must be safe. And it's like, um, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like that's sitting kinda... in a room with lots of people for an extended period of time, that's how you get COVID. That's kind of what happened here is that like we were doing fairly okay and then there was a point when it was like, mm. all right, well, we flattened mm. the curve. We're going to start opening up a little bit. And that turned into like, you got those those videos of like 400 drunk people on the streets of Brooklyn just like hanging out without masks. 
And then yeah. uh, people just like, yeah, they got tired of it. They were like, oh, we're opening up. Okay, cool. I'm not going to wear a mask anymore. And uh, I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to throw things at people who give me shit about it. And it's young people too. The rising cases lately in Canada anyway, it's been like a, a big increase in young people who are getting the virus. And then of course they spread it to older people. Yeah. So it's young and irresponsible people. Uh, who, uh, who are still stuck on the old science from like March, which was, oh, well, well you know, young, it's not too bad for young people. You're asymptomatic and then you're and then you're um, uh, immune, except immunity lasts three months. And even if you don't have symptoms, you have permanent lung damage and like multi-system, multi-organ damage and possibly brain damage, too. So, right. Yeah. I love that you 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 say like the old science from March where it's just like <laughs> that is how it is gone, where it was just like. Don't wear masks. Masks are worth for you. Actually, no. Uh, please wear masks. Actually, no. Yeah, we're going to stick with the mask thing. <laughs> um, you. It's funny because you use the term airborne, and I read an entire 2,000-word article that talked about how it wasn't airborne, but it was in the air. And, like, <laughs> the issue is that, like, aerosolized water droplets are different from something that is, quote-unquote, airborne, but those droplets can still hang out for hours. And I'm just like... Yeah. Why are you splitting hairs? Well, because it's both, right? Like, they think most of the transmission has been via droplets. And I don't know. They were going to get way off topic here. But they think most of the transmission is by droplets. Um, but they know it's it's also from aerosols. And though it can survive as an aerosol for, like, 16 hours. And there's all kinds of scary stuff. Like, yeah. if you're in a bathroom and somebody ha- has COVID and, like, they had feces and then they flush the toilet, then that creates aerosol uh-huh, virus that. in the air. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did, a, I think, a test in, like, Japan or China. And they noticed that there's a huge spike in aerosols in the restrooms, but, like, yeah. nowhere else. And they mm-hmm. were like, uh, what's going on here? And apparently you should close the lid before yeah, you flush exactly. the toilet yeah. and that's uh that's fucking not all to public me. toilets have lids right i was no, about to say but public do toilets don't have lids yep. which has always been weird to me but whatever um on well, this i mean you know you want to you want to approach from a distance not have to get up close to see if there's something inside that toilet true right. that yeah. would be oh, quite a oh shock God. um <laughs> on this Wait, note Wait, what are the school? What is the school situation in Alex? Uh, because that is an ongoing thing here that is widely <laughs> divisive from place to place. Yeah, well, it's different across Canada. Like Quebec, being the you know idiots they sometimes are about these things, are like, "Well, French, everything's fine." Um, <laughs> Take like back they- Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> I get so much hate. Um, <laughs> yeah, our Quebecois audience is massive. So if you get canceled, well, they like opened bars like in June or something like that, and then it was like, oh look, there's a spike. No shit. No, um, the wine will keep us safe. So they they oh, are no. they they had schools open. I think in. June even. Um, so I think oh everything's open there. And then in other parts of the country, um, like the spread has been pretty like outside of Ontario and Quebec, the spread has been pretty low. So like they're making TV shows again in Alberta, which mm. is in eastern Canada, where they make uh, Winona Earp. Um, or I guess they're making it now. I think they usually made it in Toronto, but they're going there because of COVID. Oh my god! Um, Wait, is is that is that a take on Wyatt Earp? Yeah, I have 
Is it? Okay. I have no idea what it is. Oh, okay. Canadian. Interesting. <laughs> um, it's a and... supernatural Western horror television yes. series. What the I, I watched fuck? the pilots and hated it. <laughs> I think a lot of what's happening is it's been about class sizes. So, like, it, at first it seemed like it was okay. Alberta was going to reopen, and then there was, like, a lot of Twitter anger about this because mm-hmm. they weren't going to actually reduce class sizes at all. So they were like, yeah, we're just going to put, like, 35 kids in a class, no masks. Hope it goes oh well. Um, it seems like... So I don't know what the latest is on Alberta, but anyway, so it's, it's different across the country. The Maritimes have, like, pretty much gotten rid of, um, that's, like, eastern Canada, the, the like, islands off eastern Canada. They've pretty much gotten rid of COVID, um, I think. But, yeah, so what's supposed to happen in Ontario, at least the latest news, and, I mean, we'll see, I guess, is they're talking about some kind of hybrid model where... It's sort of like you go into school half the days and then you're at home learning half the days. Um, it still seems a bit vague. I, I, like It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen, but that seems to be um, the plan. But also they don't want to reduce class sizes. Like, I don't know. There, it's, it's, it's a whole big mess. We were having problems with our public education um, before COVID hit, like in Ontario because of... Like, it's not just Ontario, but Toronto. Um, like, the the schools were... The teachers were on strike one day a week for months. Um, so, I don't know. It's a huge mess. And, like, then they didn't have, yeah. like, janitors or whatever. And I was hearing all these horror stories because from um, teenagers that I was tutoring. And anyway, yeah, just a... It was a big clusterfuck before COVID, and so now I don't, I don't even know. Um, it's yeah. a mess. Mother of God. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I heard that uh, <laughs> like Israel was doing really well, and then they reopened their schools, and now they have like one of the highest per capita infection rates ever. So like, you know, I don't know. Like there was a part of me that like when all this started, I was like, there's going to come a point where we're just going to have to start doing stuff again. And hope that we've like upped our capacity and have learned ways to be smart about controlling the spread, which is like not great, but it's what we've got. And um, unfortunately, we haven't we've upped our capacity, but we haven't been smart about controlling the spread Um, to that end. My update, which could be 48 hours long, but I will keep as brief as possible, is that now I've had to get tested for covid for the second time. In like four months, super freaking amped about it. I think it. I still win this one. I've been tested three times. Oh damn! <laughs> and you had the 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 back of the nose thing each time. Yeah. Damn. All right. Well, I I got the throat swab the first time. I got my brain poked this time, <laughs> and then uh, I had to find a way to get my daughter tested as well uh, because um, of a whole situation involving my ex and her roommate and his his job as a what's my do's it. What is he? I told you all. He's like a tech who fixes coffee machines. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. went to a goddamn cafe with a bunch of people who didn't believe in masks. And then he threatened to leave, so they put them on. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. That shit don't matter if they've been standing there breathing on stuff for hours. So if you walk into a place and no one's wearing a mask, it will not be magically safe if they put a fucking mask on. Remember that. Or else you might force another man to have to shop his daughter around to find a place that was willing to stick a cotton swab up her nose to make sure that she's not going to get COVID. 
So that's been my life. Um, I think I secretly win because I've been tested zero times. I was about so to I say, I Alex, I, I am going to get tested again just so that I can tie you. Well, <laughs> it's a good idea to get I, tw- tested twice because of false negatives. I mean, I have all kinds of ex- – I had two surgeries over the course of um, – the pandemic so that's why i've been tested it was all just to get cleared for surgery um no i've i've been i i've i've had the equivalent of a an action movie where someone gets shot at and then has to pat themselves really quickly (laughs) (laughs) so this is my second time with that happening and at this point legitimately i just like would prefer to just catch it almost like you know just i'm fucking tired of this like it's so it's so annoying and it's all because People can't be bothered to just act with a slight bit of common sense. Um, so wear a fucking mask, assholes. And um, as a treat, <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's gonna be my like sign off line now. Because like the first time it happened, I was almost certain I didn't have it, and it was it was a confluence of events, and like it came from me having to help to create hand sanitizer. So there was a part of me that was like, if I get it in this way, it is almost like a righteous sacrifice in the name of the greater good. But this time it happened because a bunch of fucking pricks need expensive as shit coffee. Like, go fuck yourselves. If I knew the name of this place, I would blast them right now. But I think that it has been held from me to keep me from getting arrested. Um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, glad so, you're not live streaming this one. Yeah, that's, this is again why I said that we're not going to live stream this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, like when it comes to putting my four-year-old daughter at risk, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking lob a fucking Molotov cocktail through your fucking plate glass window and burn down your espresso machine. Ugh, assholes. Um, so yeah, wear a mask. Don't be a dick. Um, now we can move on to our feature review, which again is of First Cow, uh, the new film from director Kelly Reichert. Um, this movie came out earlier this year, like right at the beginning of the pandemic and then everything kind of went crazy and then it's kind of had a re-release in the last week and we're here to uh to talk about it um this movie now available for rent or purchase on streaming platforms and um it is an adaptation theaters too if you want to support your if you want to support your theater a lot of virtual cinemas are also showing this yes um, it is based on the novel The Half-Life by Jonathan Raymond, who also helped to write the screenplay. And it stars John Magaro and Orion Lee. And here is the trailer. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. died when I was born and then my father died I never stopped moving it's the getting started that's the puzzle no way for a poor man to start you have a cow first cow in the territory it's ain't a place for cows no, it's no place for a white man either alright that is a clip from the trailer for first cow story of uh, two men who make a go at the American dream, the only way they know how, by milking a cow. Um, let us uh, begin, as always, with our spoiler-free thoughts, and then we can move into spoiler section uh, before wrapping up. We will begin, as always, with our guest, 
Alexini, what is your what what is what are your thoughts on First Cow? Oh God. Okay, so I just wrote a hundred k word book about this film in Kelly Reichardt, so <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I haven't quite figured out exactly how to condense this. But if I you guess could I- distill it down into twenty words, right? Well, <laughs> oh my God. Jesus. Um, I really love the film. Uh, I think it's maybe in some ways her like sweetest film because there is actually a genuine friendship that develops in it um even though uh the uh the the bones of damocles hang over the film um (laughs) but uh um yeah i think it's what what to say about it um it's a really interesting take on a crime film because it's a crime film in which the crime is sort of is stealing milk from a cow from a guy who owns the cow who doesn't really need the milk and in order to make baked goods that the guy who who owns the cow loves and doesn't know that he's being stolen from um and i think the film does i think reichardt does some really interesting things in the way that she shoots the film in order to sort of minimize this as a crime and to basically anoint another villain which is toby jones's character uh the chief factor um who's kind of like the representative of white power and capitalism um and he is ends up kind of being the villain of the piece rather than the really lovely sweet um cookie and king lou who just want to make delicious baked goods to make everyone happy all right bill graham uh yeah i didn't know what to think about this film uh, before I, I got a hold of it. Um, I really enjoyed it, but it is definitely interesting and weird. It is a strange, strange movie. Um, the two main characters in particular are very interesting. I've, I find their relationship really satisfying to kind of watch unfold, but I do think it is... <laughs> One is very passive and one is aggressive uh, in certain ways and aspects um, that I kind of enjoyed. Um, I I'll say this um, definitely enjoyed listening to this with some headphones on. Um, there's there's some audio cues uh, about halfway through the film that you need to need to kind of keep your ears perked up for. Um that's that's all I'll say. Yeah, I enjoyed it. All right, Michael Snydell. Yeah, I was I was kind of in the bag from for this uh, from the beginning. Um, I, I've talked before. Kelly Records, one of my favorite living filmmakers. Uh, not just living. She's one of my favorite filmmakers. Full stop. So I kind of knew at the very least this was going to be. Uh, a curiosity um and yeah I've, I've seen all of her films and and i think at the risk of trying to box in anything um i, I mean this is th- this is a film ultimately uh, what i love is it's it's another vision of americana that is very different than the one we're usually served in the sense that it's it's very global like it, you know in the sense that you have uh, in the early minutes of the film you, you know you're introduced to a chinese man who's you know um 
who's running from Russians. You go to uh, a fort where there are Scottish people, where there are British people, um, and then there's Native Americans who are uh, some of the most fascinating characters because they're on the outskirts of so much of this uh, in <laughs> in more than just a, a physical way, let's say. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I think it's it's an interesting film because I didn't I, I didn't expect it to quite be her style so much like everything. Uh, like this is beautifully shot by Christopher Blave, but it's a lot more close quarters than usual. It's a lot more, not necessarily intimate, but it's just, I think it really emphasizes the effort of everything. And granted, Riker's done a lot of that stuff. I mean, you look at something like Meek's Cutoff or A Night Moves, and it's way more interested, for instance, in... Uh, spending a long time on how to get a wagon out of a, out of a river than any real, um, I, that's her form of action, I guess I should say. And, um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's very interesting in the sense that it is very much this observing eye of the ordinary, um, applied to a very different story for her. She's also someone who generally, um, as Alex said, it's not only sweet in the sense that uh, they're making uh, delicious baked goods, <laughs> but um, it, it, it's for once about connection, even though they're not always commute, even though Cookie and King Lou aren't really always on the same page as, as Bill implied uh king lou is very talkative and cookie just you know every once in a while uh, says a word or two but nonetheless they have shared dreams of just making something in this place that is just uh, a proto-civilization so yeah i i think it's um i think it's ultimately a really interesting film i i I think it's a little more oddly metaphorically obvious than some of her other work, which I didn't expect. But I also think it's a lot more um, like uh, conventionally satisfying uh, than a lot of stuff uh, gives it. So, so yeah, I, I I enjoyed this one. I'm not sure it's one of my favorite Reichert's, but um, yeah, I like this film. As for me, I think it's important to note the context in which I watched this movie, which was between getting my own COVID test, pre-getting my daughter her COVID test with a hurricane coming. So maybe I wasn't in the right headspace for it. I found this movie to be fine to okay. I hear a lot of the good things that people are saying about it right now. I am interested to hear more. I um, generally was not quite a fan of it. I think that it's, 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 um, it just didn't capture me though. Again, maybe I needed a stronger kick on a day like today to, uh, to really sink me into it. Um, it reminded me of a lot of films. It reminded me of the sisters brothers. It reminded me of leave no trace. Um, it reminded me of, uh, I had a third movie and now I can't remember what it was. Maybe old joy a little bit, but there was that just, is Rikard. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> Sorry, I can I can reference a director's own work to say what they're. <laughs> Jesus, um, I uh, I um, oh, 
what do I, how do I even, I don't know. I don't even know 100% how I would quantify what my, my issue with this movie is. And that's half the reason that I almost have to like chalk it up to just where my brain was at today. Um, because yeah, I just, I was sitting there. I was like, this is fine. This is fine. These people are fine. There was something oddly annoying about cookie to me. And I feel like I'm a monster for thinking that, but I just did not find him to be overtly compelling. No, Um, I, 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 I'll I'll second that. He at, at first I found him very off-putting and odd, and I, I won't say that the film necessarily like during the course of the film he got better. It's just the narrative around him got a little bit more interesting. Right, I, would I think say. I think his teaming up with King Lou helps a lot. Orion Lee in this movie is, is great. And I want a whole prequel about him. Um, he seems super freaking awesome. Uh, and and then just like, I don't know. It's I, I kept picking the movie apart in ways that I really didn't like that my brain was doing it. And I just, I just, I felt all the... the don't the me- be a Toby Jones. Don't be a Toby Jones. <laughs> I felt all the metaphorical import that was being placed on everything. And it just felt weirdly obvious to me like the fact that it's like you know this isn't a land for cows and it's like oh it's not a land for white men either and then like there's another point where someone says like you know there's no way for a poor man to get on you either have to be luckier like right connections and then someone says or crime and i'm just like yeah i get it okay um and again i i didn't that's that's those aren't even the things that like stuck out to me which happened almost from the first scene Um, and it just, it bugged me how I was being bugged by the movie. Like I almost felt like my, my mind was not capable of, of just giving into this movie in the way that it asks to be. And, um, and then it, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just want to quickly ask, did that first scene, a kind of, uh, did you, uh, did your brain, calm down a little bit like I I feel like that first scene where you see the boat go the entire way across the frame is a little bit like this is this is what you need to get on the wavelength of I Uh, I think that's a a really smart thing that her films actually don't always do I would say I would say this is a lot more accessible and actually bringing you into its accessible uh, sorry not successful accessible and bringing you into that world i don't know I'm like just curious I, what your response watching that uh, like again the, again i just like i don't want to make excuses for myself for being the only person who's not 100 on this film or whatever but you know the movie opens and it's like academy ratio and there's just this barge that's floating and i was like i'm gonna fucking kill myself i am I am in the middle of a pandemic trying to find out if I need to like start doing things for my daughter who is sick. And now I just have to sit and watch this goddamn barge float around. And then I had a weird amount of anxiety um, regarding Aaliyah Shawkat's character and her choices with her discovery. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to give away anything. I was was thinking... You know, that's not what you generally do when you find uh, the things that you found. She, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I feel like you you call somebody some somebody professional, right? And I and I just um we can get more into the, it's again it's 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 kind of pointless to bring it up, but I do feel like I need to exercise it from my mind. So when we're in spoilers, we could talk about it. But um yeah, and then just and then that kind of spoilers from the first scene. Really, I, I don't know. All right, fine. Yeah, so that's a good point. <laughs> I don't. I just. I know that. I, I know that this is a movie that a lot of people want to see, and there's like you know a lot of. And I. I didn't know that the movie was going to open that way, so I was like, oh, this is like an interesting way for this to open. But yeah, why are we protecting people? Um. So the the, it, the movie opens with woman with dog, uh, Aaliyah Shawcat finding a skull. Uh, well, her dog finds it, and then she comes over, and she like is digging and digging and digging, and then she's like, oh my god, there's a skull here. And I'm like, oh, are we going to like now cut to the FBI or the local police like setting up a grid and laying out these bones on a tarp? And no, she In a digs. Kelly Reichardt movie? No. She digs yeah, she two, two full human skeletons out of the ground with her bare hands. And I was like, I have watched <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries. This isn't how this goes. What kind of psychopath would do this? And, well, that, and and then and then what are you gonna do with it then? Like take some photos and just be like, okay, I guess my job's done. Post it on your like, Instagram, just like yes. Thursday and then feels. Just cover it back, cover it back up. But I mean, that's kind of my I don't know. Like and and again, that's like it's it's kind of I understand the symbolism of it. Like oh, like this person has uncovered these two people who died together. But like oddly, that that whole scene just like really bummed me out. Because I was like, I hate that I'm immediately like, no human being would act this way. And now I know well, they're going to. Sorry. I'm so, and I'm just like, and now I know they're going to die. I know they're going to die together. And I just like, and then from that moment on, every choice that everyone made, I was just like, why is, why are you making the stupidest possible decision right now? Um, and luckily, I think that I'm able to get over that a little bit because of Orion Lee's performance. And and honestly, to some like lesser extent, John Magaro's performance as Cookie, because Cookie is such a weak individual that it makes sense that King Lou, with with his modicum of charisma, is able to basically bend this incipient dude to his will to make a fortune wow, i'm gonna completely disagree with all of you guys on this <laughs> uh, I'm like, wait so okay so it's gonna be michael I, and I, and alex against I me mean, and bill i like it when i talked to well i mean aside from the fact that you hated the movie but i mean just well just, i will say again i didn't hate but, it i just yeah. wasn't a fan of it in the way your reaction is more extreme but i've had a somewhat similar reaction to seeing quite a few of reichardt for the first time like the first time i saw meek's cutoff i was like oh, oh my god i get it they're like walking through the desert there's a lot of desert uh-huh now they're washing some clothes now they're, they're eating why do people love this movie um <laughs> and then like it, i think it just takes a while to sort of get on her bandwidth because it just it's or not bandwidth her wavelength because um it it, it is as you said it's it's a very uh, it's a different pace um and and her films are are very um i think they're very dense while being very economical so it, it can kind of feel like nothing is happening but there is a wealth of things that are happening but you kind of have to you have to sort of teach yourself how to watch for those things and i think i can like even with first cow i really liked it the first time i saw it but then the second time i saw it i was like okay now i really love this movie um 
And, but, but anyway, the thing I was going to disagree so that's, with, that's, that's what Brian needs to do. He needs to watch it again. Yeah. He needs to watch it again. And legitimately, like, I'm in, already like, not, considering not doing that. Yeah. After, uh, <laughs> after I get my test results for me and my daughter, I may return to this and just uh, be like, let's give this another <laughs> shot. Cause yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, what I'm going to disagree with all of you on is this idea that Cookie and King Lou are such polar opposites. And this is something that, um, so, because I wrote, a, I, I with my colleague um, Orla Smith um, and a few um, contributors wrote a book on Kelly Reichardt's entire filmography with this focus on First Cow. And we basically talked to all of the heads of department on the film, including like the sound designer, um, her assistant editor, the, the lead actors, the costume designer, production designer, composer. Anyway, it's a long list of people. Um, and when I talked to Orion Lee, the interesting thing that he said to me is that um, when he auditioned for the part, Kelly was really um, keen on the idea of these two men as these opposites. Um, but to him, he likes to see the ways in which characters are similar. And so to him, he was looking for how these two characters are actually quite, are, are the same rather than that they're different. Like, it's true that one of them is very charismatic and talks all the time. And the other one barely speaks and is a bit socially awkward. Um, but I actually think that they're very much the same. And that is why they connect, which is also what Orion Lee said. Um, and I think that you see that partly in the timing of their interactions. Like Cookie doesn't need much persuading. Um, you know, King Lou, you know, he says like, let's, you know, he starts asking questions about stealing the milk and he's saying, you know, let's do this. And for a second, Cookie's like, uh, you know, I don't know. I think like that's dangerous. And, you know, he gets he doesn't even need to be persuaded by King Lou. And he's already like thinking up how to make more marketable baked goods than the ones that he made for themselves. Um, and I think that you see that throughout that they're both on the same page. It's just that King Lou is the one saying it out loud, but they're both always on the same page. And that's why. One, why they're such good friends, and two, why you see this sort of quick exchange. There's never an argument between them, and I don't think it's because Cookie just capitulates. It's because he goes, yeah, you're right. Like, let, there's, let's do this. Uh, we want the same thing, and I agree with you. I guess, but it's not like Cookie feels like he's been thinking about heisting some milk for his whole life and has like, just finally found the person who's going to say it to him. No, but like, I don't think, I mean, well, we know King Lou has a bit of a criminal past, um, but it's not like he was looking to steal milk either. Just, um, that I, I think I, 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 I want to, I want to jump in real quick because I, I mean, I, I agree. I see similarities certainly in that they're on each other's wavelengths, right? Like, like they don't have to do a lot of explaining. Like when, when. Uh, Orion Lee first uh, is introduced to J John Magaro. Like, there are barely even, you know, it, it's almost like he doesn't know if he's even. I think at one point he asked him if he's a Native American. Like, th that's yeah. how little he he spoke. And yet he knew that he needed clothes. He knew that he needed this. He knew that he needed all of these other things. Right. And so he was just like, I'm going to take care of you. We like we connected, even though we barely spoke like five words to each other. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And so I definitely see where you're saying that they're on each other's wavelengths. I, I agree completely with them. Um, they're both very comfortable around each other, whereas John is rarely comfortable around anybody else. Right. Yeah. Um, but Orion seems to be fairly comfortable where he's at right now. Um, or I don't I just did a uh, what is it called present tense wording there. Uh, that's useless. Uh, he was very comfortable in in the camp that that they uh, kind of reconnect in. Um, but I I do think that Orion is the aggressor of the two of them and that he definitely like pushes John to kind of be better to reach beyond his current lot in life. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't I think, think you've said anything that des- necessarily negates that. Yeah, I think you're right, especially at the beginning of the film. But I think they start to rub off on each other. Sure, I, I can see that. Yeah, but again, I I think without Orion in the picture, John's trajectory is very straight and sh- straight across. Yeah, right? Cookie's He's just sure, going to keep but- puttering around, getting kicked by people. Yes. Yes. Sure, and, but at the same time, you know, King Lou's going to keep being on the run, like. Right, because he's like find... a, he's like a natural con man. He's got like that, yeah. that energy to him. Yeah, he's he's always he's always goosing something up. Yeah, that's whereas yeah, was, he actually just... finds some comfort in you I mean, know I mean, nesting with. Uh, I, I think. I, yeah, I think, absolutely. I, I think. Uh, well, well, Alex. Yeah, guys, like you just said, he, he. You know, they find a lot of comfort with the nesting. Like Cookie comes in and immediately is like. Can I just beat this rug and put some flowers in this vase? This guy lives like an animal. <laughs> and King, <laughs> King Lou comes in. He's like, oh, shit, this place looks better already. It's it's yeah. it is it is a very symbiotic relationship. And, you know, no one would ever say that, like, a remora fish and a shark are so different because they hang out because they need to go to the same places and they they pull a lot of the same stuff out of the ocean, you know, like. But there is many ways in which they are different. Um and I, I, it's funny that when you first said, like, they look for ways that they're similar, this is like the first, literally sitting down on this podcast is the first time that I've sat down today with the ability to just, like, relax. And I, I immediately thought, like, we meet King Lou naked in the forest because some stuff went down and he ran away. And, like, the next thing that we see is Cookie getting kicked by a trapper who's just upset with him. And as soon as the other trappers come to fight his battle for him, he runs away. And I was like, oh, right. These are two guys who run away. And I, I think that there is something there to that, that they have that. But like when they get together, even though Cookie is still like, hey, maybe we should like end this because no one can be an idiot for as long as as a chief factor is being an idiot. King Lou's like, no, no, I think we're going to make it this time. I think this is the time well, that we can stick around. That's true for the first half, and then at the end they switch roles because by the by the time they go into their final heist, which is the one they get caught at, caught mm-hmm. at the fourth time that they go milking the cow, the conversation they've just had is King Lou's like, I don't know, I think this is pretty risky. We should, you know, 
cash in and get out of here before we get caught. And at this point, now Cookie is overconfident. And he's like, you know what? Some people just can't imagine being stolen from. And I think the chief factor is too arrogant to believe that he could be stolen from. So let's do it one more time. So at that point, they've completely switched roles. Well, I don't I don't I don't want to argue with the person who literally wrote the book on this movie. <laughs> but I feel like didn't King Lou say that when they were going to give the 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 oh God, what is it called? Not a Christini. The <laughs> The, the clafu tea? Yeah, the clafu tea. King Lou's like, I feel like we're setting ourselves up here. And Cookie's like, it would yep. be awkward if we didn't do it. It would become suspicious. Yep. But then after yep, that it. is the telltale cow who they all go to like look at the cow because it's, yeah. it's a fucking cow <laughs> in, in, in Oregon. We should go look at this cow. And the cow is just like, oh, my God, Cookie. <laughs> You're back. <laughs> What's up, dude? And Cookie even the is, captain notices. Cookie's we, like we, 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 so, we fully barreled into into spoilers. I believe that we have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine someone watching this movie and being like, "I'm," or listening to this podcast and being like, the "Second they say spoilers, I'm out." Because I really got to see this. Like, I feel like you've probably watched this already. But I do love. I don't think we milked non-spoilers for all it's worth, oh, guys. That was terrible, <laughs> no, and you're fired, no. and you're rehired. Um, okay. I do love that before I, or after dinner. <laughs> I do love that the the scene with the cow plays like two lovers being caught. It's like they walk they walk over and she yeah, factors okay, like let's let's just let's just let's just go ahead and, and get into this because there there was a a cracking noise that I noticeably heard when he's first hoisted up onto that branch and then I'm like do did none of y'all hear that and how often we don't I think we visually see like two more times that they they uh are hoisted up there right maybe maybe three more times yeah the branch anyway, was one never. Of the second milk and we don't actually see king lose role in it so you yeah. were correct yeah yeah and and so every single time he goes up onto that branch i hear this crack and i'm just like no this is this is not gonna end well. for god's sakes it's a giant coastal rainforest find another tree <laughs> but no the the scene the scene where they walk out. It's, well, I it have is, stories about the locations kept for that tree. But anyway. I am so looking forward to that. But no, so, okay, I just, I need to talk, because again, yeah, this yeah. was one of my favorite scenes, and I want to prove that I, I did like parts of this movie, and maybe I'll like it more on a rewatch. But when they say, we should go see the cow, it, it legitimately was like, gentlemen, have you met my wife? <laughs> and they go there and it's just like oh what a fine woman she is it's like yes she's part like a La Font Lorraine from Brittany and all this other stuff and Cookie's just there like just pretend you've never met this cow before pretend you've never spoken with this cow <laughs> while touching her before just pretend you have no connection to the cow and meanwhile the cow is like I've forgotten all social graces I held his hand too long I'm sniffing at his belt and the captain is there being like am i am i as the outsider the man who can the only man who can see that this man's cow clearly has eyes for this other man that she's apparently never met before and it's just like an awkward tea and then they all leave and it's like we shouldn't do this anymore we're gonna get caught the captain knows something it's like i have to i have to milk you again and then that's when they get caught and uh, all hell breaks loose and like, yeah, the, I've explained it in a very funny way, 
because I think I, I'm almost positive that scene is meant to play as like a comedy of manners, oh, sure. like high drama. And like, I loved that. And I wish that there was more of that in the movie. I wish that the heisting had begun sooner and had a kind of comic pitch because when you tell people that this is a movie about dudes heisting milk from a cow, it sounds so low stakes that I feel like you should. And I was really expecting something along the line. Like, there's a point where they say, like, isn't Chief Factor going to, like, doesn't he want to know where he's getting the milk from? There's literally one cow in the entire territory. And he's well, like, some I mean, men it, just it, don't want to believe they're takes, being robbed from. <laughs> it, 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 They are right, though. Like, it takes a certain knowledge of, like, baking to understand that sure. I actually have to have milk to make buttermilk and and all of these other things yeah. you know that are essential ancient chinese secrets <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, i mean so, didn't just live through a pandemic where everyone was faking their feelings now now right now he didn't have the bon appetit is, test kitchen or whatever to be like oh the the issue is that when he starts saying things like this cow doesn't give off any milk. I'm just like, this is this is a red flag. My like, wife has been she... withholding her affections from me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Brian's version of this is like, uh, what is it? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, where instead of zombies, <laughs> it's it's now a cow. It's, a cow. <laughs> it's Anna Karenina, uh, is there room but with for a one cow? more essay in the book. <laughs> I mean, I do think that scene is supposed to, like, it's supposed to be tense, but also kind of funny. I think Reichardt is, her films are, I, I kind of think a lot of her films are quite the quite comedies in a way that she doesn't get credit for. And they get funnier the more times you watch them. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, like, that scene worked for me so well that I just wish more of it had been like that. You know, like, I they they, they have, like, two full-on conversations with Cheap Factor and I just wish that they had like stretched the preposterousness a little more. The the other the other really funny part that I liked was uh, the line, and when we hear overhear someone, and I don't know if this was all only in like ADR that they actually added this, or if they you know shot the scene or whatever. But um, when someone says there's no cutting in line and someone else is like, no, no, he's holding my spot in line. It's okay. <laughs> and I was just like, I've definitely heard this conversation at like Comic-Con and shit like that. <laughs> where it's just like, no, sir, you, you cannot jump in line. Like there's a thousand people behind you. And it's like, no, 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 he's, he's saving my spot. Oh, okay. All right. Well, well then it's fine now. <laughs> there's poor Thomas who like spends the entire movie I trying know. to get an oily cake and he never gets one. I, yeah, I do funny. love that they called them oily cakes. Like, just call it a fucking biscuit because they it's both say. It's not a biscuit. It's a it's fried a donut. It's like a beignet at best, Bill. Oh, so he ended up baking something else. What are yeah, you talking so about? First thing, oh, yeah, they okay. do. Yeah, what they, they do he, show him he, making a buttermilk biscuit. Yes. But yeah, then. And then when Cookie, when King Lou is like, let's bring it to market, then then Cookie is like, this won't sell well. Let's. We should make something that will sell better, which is something I, sweet. I thought, I thought he was saying that we need to add honey to the biscuits because no. that's what I do. Because right? these that's, these that's trappers, you know, it's all biscuits and hardtack and jerky. And he's like, no, no, no. We need like a full on dessert. 
Okay. You I, know? I, I got it. I got it. And that's, they, that's they why show they him also even look uh, like puff pastries instead of instead of a biscuit now. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense now. But yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that switch. I did notice that everybody was like, ooh, these taste good. And I thought it was just the honey. Nope. So okay. They made oily cakes. I, 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 I want to push back a little bit on this idea of, of low stakes, though, because I, I think that, you know, if you know whether you're going to like Wendy and Lucy, whether you're going to certain women like I, I, I again, I, I think there are a lot of examples of this. I think this would be a lot less interesting if it was pitched uh, more comedically, because I think what is ultimately unique about this besides that certain like globalism that i said was reflected is this like communicates a lot that even what is you know what they're traveling to this fort is just it's a shanty town everyone there like you know they are giving second looks when they see cookies boots for instance like this is a place where you know beyond any like colonialism or like class conversations or anything like this is a a world where if you strike you know they struck gold with their bakery like Mm. this is their version of of panhandling and they got lucky while everybody else is willing to you know give seemingly a lot of money for a single five silver ingots and i'm thinking like the things that you use to melt down and make steel and i was like you're gonna give someone 80 pounds of silver for an oily cake um but yeah i don't know what the exchange rate is no yeah yeah, go ahead go ahead michael no i'm I'm sorry i i just again wanna i think that's what's so interesting here is is this clash from this very relaxed pacing and yeah, they're just stealing milk from a cow, but also like this is an oasis in a in a desert. I, I don't know how many uh, half baked metaphors I can go through here, but <laughs> I, I just I I just half really want to. Oh boy! Um, God damn it! I just I really <laughs> want to underline here that I I don't think this is is low stakes at all. I I yeah. think that it's shot in a way that uh, certainly doesn't give it urgency but i think that the texture of the town the way that someone like toby jones is well i mean the way that he the first interaction with orion lee right like what the fuck like he's butt naked and he's running around in the forest and he's got no food like (laughs) because he threw away his gun and shoved his clothes in empty trees i don't understand that I don't necessarily understand that either, but uh, I, I all the credit to him for for being out in the forest butt naked. Like, <laughs> hats off but, to you, sir, and have my hat. I think Mike, Michael's <laughs> right though about it. Like, part of it is, and I think this is true of all of Reichardt's films. Is yeah. I think she makes films where it's about kind of low, st- like seemingly small, low stakes things that are high stakes for those characters. Well, I mean, um, it's certainly it's finding is, a dog, for death instance, is and Def is definitely around the corner for all of these people, right? Like, I mean, you, you, uh, uh, they are caught milking a cow, and all of a sudden, people are just like, "All right, I guess it's rifle time." And I'm just like, "Oh, okay, I, I guess that's uh, that's where we're going from here." 
Well, well I mean, you know, I imagine that milk must be super expensive if there's only one cow in a hundred miles. No, but that's not why. It has nothing to do with whether or not it's because he, effectively it costs him nothing. All he wants the cow for is to put milk in his tea. He doesn't need gallons of milk a day <laughs> to like drink tea, right? It's yeah. all about pride. And yeah, I think the really smart thing that that Rikard does in this film is we 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 are privy to scenes that um. Kane Lu and Cookie aren't. Mm -hmm. And one of the key scenes is when they're going to bring the Clafu tea to the chief factor. We're inside the chief factor's house with the chief factor and the um, the captain from from the Navy. And they're talking about the the way that punishment was doled out on the oh, on the ship. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the captain is saying that, you know, they were they only gave them so many lashes because if they gave them more lashes, then they would have been useless. And pragmatically, they would prefer to have the labor than to, you know, have harsh punishment. And the chief factor says, well, you know, the deterrent is more important um, than, you know, the lost labor from that. Sometimes. And, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that scene, we actually, you can see Cookie and King Lou through the window. They're walking mm -hmm. up to the house, but they don't hear any of this. And so what that mm -hmm. tells us as an audience, which they don't know, is that the chief factor is ruthless and that all he cares about is maintaining his power and position. And he's willing to enact kind of um, excessive punishment if he thinks that's going to help him. And, you know, that's not or, unlike. Even even in this case, he is willing to make exorbitant expenses to basically impress the captain, right? Right, like, exactly. Yeah, like like the whole the whole baked good thing, and like you notice that when he mentions that this is it's uh, Chinese tea, I think is is what yeah. he says. Chinese and, black tea, and he's like he's like and. As soon as he gets the little cup, he's like, would you like some cream in that? And you're just like, Jesus, man. Like, <laughs> I can feel your heart on. Glad just, like, and, yeah, he's just like trying to. So British. Impress him. Like, oh, mm -hmm. my gosh. I just yeah. there was a part of me that at some point I wondered, like, you know, and it, it, you just kind of have to. I guess. OK, I got to I got to take the right tact in bringing this up. Um. <laughs> So we talked about King Lou having like a criminal past and Cookie kind of, I don't want to say push over, but go along to get along or like just being fine with it. I, um, I understand that cutting in chief factor would cut into their profits, but I feel like there ought to have been some question of that at some point like you know if he's you mean buying the cow not buying the cow but like you know just saying like yeah like give us some fucking milk and we'll give you some of our profits like, like yeah but he wouldn't have said yes right like yeah. i don't know he that he have, when he finds out yes. when he finds out that there's oh he wouldn't have because it's it's no. a pride thing it's all about pride and power for him but wouldn't and he doesn't need that money you know when <clears> he discovers they're stealing from him he could have gone oh hey they have a lucrative business cut me in Right, right, but at that not, point, they'd already been stealing from them. him. What I'm saying is but they're... he likes the cakes. Yes, right. they're stealing from him, but they're producing something that he likes. Yes, so basically, what he's doing is, is only hurting himself. He wasn't really missing the milk. I think it's really reflected in that scene that we're talking about, too. I, I love the way that the captain reacts when... Uh, I'm sorry, when... Um, 
when King Lu starts talking and he's horrified that this Chinese man in in the sorry in the face of all of these you know uh, nobles is talking and and I feel like that uh, along with the way that Toby Jones character uh, treats that situation as well as how he treats the Native American uh, I, I don't know if chieftain is the, is the word I necessarily want there but I, either way, I feel like that in a, itself is a miniature of how he would never be okay. Yeah. Like, it, uh, he would never be okay with the possibility of ever, like, working with these people. I think you're totally yeah. – Alex, I mean, it's as simple as, as pride is what you're saying. But, but I, you don't that, feel like he would get some pride from them, like, no, having to, like, no, slap his name on it because him. it would be I – I don't – all right. I'll just – It's a Chinese it man. Like, I, I think that would be – the I, I, maybe well, not I'm just a chi- emphasizing the racism and a too Jew. much. It's not just yeah, a Chinese man; a it's a Chinese point. man and a Jew. Right, because, but he's perfectly I mean, fine to eat from them and talk to them and invite them into his house, but he wouldn't be like down oh, to. But that's not nobody sees that, right? It's a, it's not a public thing. I mean, and he, when he discovers they that they're stealing the from the them, <laughs> when he discovers that he's being stolen from, right? The first thing he does is he yells the one signifier of. Cookie's Jewishness, which is his last name, Figowitz. He doesn't go after King Lou. He doesn't okay. go, he doesn't yell Cookie and King Lou. He yells Figowitz. There's absolutely, <laughs> as Michael is suggesting, there's a huge amount of uh, prejudice there. It would be funny if he angrily screamed Cookie into the night air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he well, knew him I would have as that he Cookie, would... though. No, he, oh man, now I don't know. Well, he yep. could have screamed King Lou then, because King Lou is the even more marginalized. He's not even remotely white. Yes. But I, I, Brian's point is making me wonder, though. I mean, Alex, did you think at all? I, I, I personally hadn't thought that it was a little strange that the servants actually let uh, King Lou and Cookie inside. I, as I think about that, and that then they go see the cow together. <laughs> like, like I, they I, go I, see his I, gorgeous I bride standing part. out in the field. But at least letting them in the house did. I, I am. I, I'm not sure whether I've just seen so many portrayals that show this in such a, you know, direct, obvious way. But I, I'm well, I think whether you had some, thoughts. There, about. I think part of, but I think that that I think you're bringing a good point up, because part of why I think King Lou and Cookie are not able to anticipate how much danger they're in, is because there is a weird mix of society and the Wild West where they are mm-hmm. and yeah, it's hard to un- you know like the chief factor lives in a fancy house with yeah, all just look at the way he's dressed when he's first introduced and he's walking up with his fucking cane and you're just like yeah what Skips where are line. you co- yeah. yeah where are right. you coming from man like right. also his house has like windows and sh- shit right exactly where <laughs> the rest of the town is a shanty town and you sure. have that argument that king lou and cookie have where king lou says um history hasn't come here yet and yes um, Cookie says it seems pretty old to me and that there's this sort of tension throughout the film and I think you're right Michael that if this had been in in London there's no way they would have had admittance to the dining room there would be you know there's a separate entrance for servants and they yes, would never yes. be invited in but they're in this weird place where having you know made the clafouti gives them some degree of temporary status mm-hmm. um, and they like the rules aren't exactly like there are you know, it's not like they get arrested, right? They get shot. Um, like there's some. The I don't even know so- if there's like a, 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 a what's a, 
a scaffolding, like a framework for them to be arrested. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's so a good point. But yeah, so it's it's sort of like I think that that's a good that that's a really good point that you made, Michael. Because I think the fact that they do get let in tells you something about the weirdness of this society where there are rules and yet there aren't rules, and that's part of why it's dangerous. Well, that's kind of why I asked my question because mm-hmm. like he speaks to them openly in the middle of the fort in front of a lot of people, and like King Lou is still handing out oily cakes to the rabble. While Cookie is having a full-on conversation about, like, you know, the the art of the pesticide or whatever, you know, like, you know, <laughs> Chief yeah, Factor's but like he's on the floor, and the Chief Factor, little T- Toby Jones, is towering over him. Yeah, but I still feel, you know, he's he's asking something of uh, Cookie, and there is a level of like, I'm a vain man, and and you are a person who might be able to give me something that I need. And I just, Mm -hmm. I, you know, even if they had said at some point, like, maybe this is the time to, like, maybe try to strike up an actual Mm -hmm. partnership. And, like, like, if Cookie or Kitty, I would assume it would be, Cookie definitely seems like the type of guy who's like, maybe we should go legit. And then King Lou's like, nah, man, one more score and we're out of (laughs) here. I don't want him cutting in on our profit margin. Brian, I, I do think, I mean... I I recognize your tone as my tone in a lot of movies where I'm just like, well, why didn't they just do this? And why didn't they? And I I definitely agree that I I wish they would have at least in their private life. Right. With right. the two of them broached that subject of like, hey, like, what should we actually do here? Because like we're we are and they do mention we're playing a dangerous game. Yes. Right. Um, and so I wish in they the game of said, oily cakes, you win or you die. <laughs> you win or you fry. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Hey. That's a better one. Yeah. Um, anyways. Uh, so <laughs> sorry. Um, anyways. I think that I would have liked to see that scene because all the all that King Lou would have had to say was all we tell him is that we've been importing the buttermilk, right? Or like even, I think I think I, there's some way of like okay, butter is the essential ingredient here, I think. And so if I can convince him that butter travels, right? Which I imagine it Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know how. They didn't have great cooling in the 1700s. Yeah. There's a whole history of ice that (laughs) we could get it to. And butter can like go a while like on a on a shelf. But like, you know, there's a reason we try to keep it cold. But they talk about that oil that they would bring to China as well. And you can't figure out how to preserve that as well. well, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of that. Well, so like my thing is like I and again, I, I only bring this up because unlike if I were to be like, I don't get it. It's raining all the time and no one's wearing a hat. Like that feels, <laughs> that feels like a stupid thing, but I feel like almost it would add to the, the metaphorical depth of the movie to address the fact that in every criminal enterprise, there is an option at some point to turn legit. And it would almost mm-hmm. also play into chief factors vanity. If they said, if like, if he said like, Oh, like, well, how have you been making these things? And it's like, well, we've just been like not using milk or we've been like using the sap of some tree, but like, oh, milk would make it taste so much better. And then they make him the exact same goddamn recipe 
but because mm-hmm. he is so infatuated with this sure. cow that he would then be like, oh my God, this is so much better. You're right. The milk makes all the difference. Yeah, we should do well, this. And then the, the somehow be- he finds the out and part, then he murders them anyway. The best part could be that they show him that Cookie is able to get more milk out of this cow than anybody else. Because of else. ancient Chinese secrets. <laughs> I don't know. And it's, it's, I just, I understand that it's not in the movie and it's almost unfair to bring it up, but I'm just curious if anyone has an opinion as to why it's not in the movie. Like, is it because like the way that it was written, people just kind of thought to understand that chief factor would never be into it or because it would muddle the, the metaphorical intent or, or what? I don't think King Lou and cookie are, I, I, I think, yeah, we are ostensibly talking about a crime, and I say that with gigantic air quotes. I, yeah, I well, think I think the way it's oh, portrayed please, in the film ahead. is with giant air quotes. Yeah. Um, but it is a crime. I mean, it's... I don't well, give a fuck a crime, about... <laughs> but, it's not the way, but the way Reichardt shoots it, it's not a crime until the last time. That's sure. true, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, there was a point when I, 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 um, I was talking to, I think, Jordan on Slack... And I just said, like, I am not comfortable with the way this man is talking to this cow. <laughs> because every time Cookie is milking the cow, he's not like, you know, aha, these fools, I'm stealing their milk and I'm selling it back sure. to them. He's like sweetly whispering to the cow. And he's not how, like, making oh, small like, talk either. He's, no, he's, he's like, he's like, I know your history. I'm sorry about your husband and your calf. And I'm just like, Jesus, man. And he's like, look, Come like, on. you know, the cinnamon and the honey help, but your milk makes all the difference with these things. And I'm just there on my couch and I'm like, my daughter might have a deadly disease. And I am listening to this man talk to this cow like this. Pause. I'm going to pause this erotic novel because I want to finish my point about the criminals. Again, I don't think that they, you know, as much as they talk about, uh, like, let's go back to what they're saying their dreams were. Their dreams are opening a bakery or opening a hotel or a farm. Like a low stakes hotel with a bakery in it. Because like King Lou even says, like the normal people need a hotel. Like we don't compete with the big boys travelers. yeah yeah king lou says travelers need a place you know maybe it'll be by the sea maybe it'll have a view but i think the whole notion of the a hypothetical of them tricking toby jones character is not in either of their uh either of their personalities you know like cookie is you know, he's a little bit hapless and doofy, but I also think he's very soulful. Like, I, I think that, you know, it's not only when he's talking to the cow. Uh, we haven't mentioned the cow's name, Evie. Uh, <laughs> it's not only when... The cow doesn't have a name in the film. It's just e- the actual cow. Is Evie is the I'm actress's saying, name, Michael. I'm saying the, pro- yeah. I'm saying the performer. The actress. Performer. Like Bert the Bear <laughs> in, hey, in The Evie Edge. Is, take, is, is willing to take commissions. She is ready to make more She's movies. A cameo. Yeah, that is. Like, I, feel, I feel like y'all are. I feel like y'all are milking this cow beyond its. It's. Uh, it does not have a choice in this matter. Yeah, I'm I, not I, even I kidding though. That's literally what the animal trainer told us: is that Evie is excited to make more movies. Nice. And I, she. I, would, I, I disregard that wholeheartedly. Okay, she kept anyways, turning her back to the camera, and then finally we realized <laughs> that she actually knew her angles and her lighting so well. That she was trying to encourage the cinematographer to change the side he filmed her on. Evie understands it. Evie gets it. 
I'm just saying King Lou and Cookie are good people and they didn't they just should have had their farm and their bakery and their hotel and well, yeah I, they, I want to trick anyone yeah I, I know, realize I, how quickly you, Michael I think also that the way that the cow is presented and the way that Cookie sees the cow it's very much in a way that we are not supposed to see it as um, an object to be stolen because the way he stumbles Anamitous. upon pardon it's magnanimous is, is how I saw their magnanimous. Sure. But I, I don't even mean Thank that. You. I mean, when he first encounters the cow or our pal Evie, you mean um, when they each meet at random on a constitutional in the afternoon and lock eyes uh, with each other oh for God. the first time. <laughs> I mean, when he sees her in a meadow. Yeah. Um, it's fan it, fiction. It's very much shot the same way as the opening scene where cookie is foraging for mushrooms in the forest. Mm-hmm. And in this, when we see the cow, the cow is also just like in the middle of the forest, like among all of the other things that are free for the taking to, to feed yourself. Um, you know, like nobody is going to have problems with him taking nuts from the forest or berries from the forest. And when we first see the cow, she is not, there's, you know, she's not yeah, like she's just enclosed free. anywhere. She's just sitting there. So there's a very clear visual cue that Reichardt is making that the cow is basically not somebody's property. I know the the chief factor thinks that she's his property, but the way that the cow is introduced to us and to cookies, it's just, she's sort of one of the resources in the forest that everyone is making mm. use of. Well, I mean, and it so is, that's, that ties in with the native Americans, right? Like, uh, and I'm not saying that all native Americans, uh, I, I think I think there's a few tribes or or lineages that like um, were very possessive, but a lot of Native Americans were very free roaming and and moved around, and they never felt like the land uh, cows. I mean, they didn't have cows, uh, buffalo, things like that were. Mm-hmm anybody's property right it was it was the land that they lived off of and so everybody needs to share and so i feel like that's that's kind of cookies mentality as well even to the point that like he flips that little gecko thing over like it It was i believe that was a salamander okay and i don't know why it is orange on its underside but black on top it's a fire belly you never seen one of those before no, I, I didn't know that's a thing. Okay. That's, yeah, their that's stomach a camouflages with the uh, the ground and their back camouflages against the ground from above so that they can't be seen. You had that so ready, the fire family. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. it, it, our, our local amphibian expert over here, Brian. Yeah. With the, it, it, a snake is an amphibian, right? No, a right? snake is a reptile. Reptile. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amphibians yeah. yeah, have God, skin so. and are usually semi-aquatic. <laughs> Reptiles have scales. They are both cold-blooded, yes. and both usually give birth to eggs. And so, a salamander is an amphibian. Yes, a salamander yeah. and a newt are both amphibians. They are very close together. I think newts spend more time in the water, so that's why I figured it's a salamander. But I know that there is a thing called a firebelly newt, and I used to really want one as a kid. I think the salamanders are thinner, like the one, like what we see in the film, and the newts yeah. are wide, wider. Yeah, mm. they're more prehistoric. Anyway, I don't know how to respond <laughs> to that. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I see them as Google tattles. salamanders of the northwest. 
Anyway, uh, it's interesting, Bill, that you bring that up, though, because that actually ties into uh, what has been said a few times, I think, by Alex and uh, Michael about like the melding or this cross pollination of the old and the new. Like, you know, you've got Chief Factor in his big old house trying to like live an English lifestyle, but like amongst the trappers of the new world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the, the like he owns that cow, but that cow is is of nature or making herself availing herself like of nature. Um, which is a, I, I don't a very know. I, 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 I feel like maybe you keep your cow closer to your house if if that's if that's your jam. <laughs> I I just I'm just saying like no, I'm milk. We're talking I, about milk. Well, I, at uh, the end, yeah, Jesus Christ, your butter. Um, if at the <laughs> yeah. end when it was kind of heartbreaking because there was a point at the end when I was yeah. like, you know, if these guys had just like like these the. Uh, in, it's almost like an old Hollywood movie in the way that it punishes these two for being thieves um, in that kind of haze code way where it's like, look, you can have a gangster in your movie, but he's got to die in a hell of gunfire. And these two, you know, go through hell. And not only that, but the uh, the co-lead of the movie, the romantic interest, the cow, is no longer able to wander the pasture. She's in like an eight by eight fenced in with spikes. And she's lost area. her lover. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't even get to say goodbye. He sees her from afar and he's like, oh, I've ruined her life. She can't run around the way she used to. She's locked in a tower. I mean, and that's that you were also mentioning how when we meet King Lou and Cookie, they're both on the run um, and they both run away. And of course, the ending flips that because, yes, they're on the run from the chief factor and his and his minions, but they stop um, so that Cookie can rest and King Lou makes a decision there where he kind of looks at Cookie and he looks at the bag of money and he decides to stay with Cookie, even though he pretty much knows it's going to be the death of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They should have given sad. the oily cake to the to the kid. Then then he wouldn't have turned on him. <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> Thomas is just pissed that he never got that oily cake. Yep. Every this movie time. does. Uh, have you ever been to a place that made like donuts fresh? Like yes, I've in been front of to. You. Yeah, I've I've been to. Uh, what, what's what's the famous one that does that all the time? Cream. Yeah, Krispy Kreme. <laughs> no, that's not what I was thinking of. There was a place. There I is, mean, that, that, that's that's what they do. Like when the sign's on, they're fresh, baby. So there's a place called Fractured Prune. <laughs> um, I uh, I don't know where the nearest one to me is. There used to be two that were very close to me. There was one in College Park and then there was one in Silver Spring. And um Fractured Prune is amazing. They they That's they, a hell of a name. So yeah. it's apparently <laughs> it's apparently because I they had they had to it sounds like a this, rock obviously. Band. They um <laughs> they, they there was a woman named Pr- Prunella or Prudy or something like that I'm and she she was like an extreme sports enthusiast, and Prunella she, Deville, and she, um, <laughs> Prunella I'm just, I'm Deville. Just, I'm just making that up. Um, so she she was like a an extreme sports enthusiast. Something she always had broken bones, and so people called her fractured prune. And then she started this donut shop, and so its whole <laughs> bit is you order a donut and they drop the dough, and it fries, and it's like not like an airy donut. It is like an oily cake, cakey donut. Like it's thick mm-hmm. and it's dense and it's sweet as hell. Even before they give you three different types of toppings that you can put on it, and you get it and it's still warm. 
And it was like the best thing I'd ever eaten. And then both locations closed down because I think that they were just having trouble like franchising it and getting it to stick. Mm-hmm. And um, I was taking a trip to Buffalo once uh, with with my then wife. And well, she wasn't my wife then, my fiance. And we stopped at a, a gas station. And for whatever reason, this random gas station in the middle of Pennsylvania had a fractured prune in it. What? And I was like, wait a second. Like, do you do it with the, the, the grease and the, the, the frying and everything? Like, this isn't like you get them shipped to you. And it's like, no, we got to drop them right there. I was like, oh, my God. And so I bought it. And uh, she, she at that point was like, I don't understand why you're doing this for like some weird fruit concoction. I'm like, oh, you took the name way too seriously. These are goddamn donuts. Eat this. And she agreed that it was amazing. <laughs> and it's just like, so watching this movie, I was like, how hard is it to make a donut? Like a fresh donut. Like I understood uh, if, if the men you, in those lines waiting for those fucking things with the memory of fractured prune in my brain. I've I've watched quite a few Great British baking shows where they do donuts, and it is a fucking nightmare to make a donut. It is interesting. It, it it doesn't help that they don't know what a donut is either. When they say donut, they're like they're like what an what, oily what? cake. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like no, that's not a thing. Um, but but yeah. I think that that's uh, just just, you know, I haven't said much about Riker <clears throat> in her in her filmmaking, but like the fact that she creates this movie with these people and then is just able to shoot those things and make me like evoke that whole memory and just be like, yeah, no, I get it. That looks delicious because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I feel like uh, shooting food in movies is an underrated quality. And also the fact that she delves so in to cookies like mental process and his his attachment to these things and his thoughts towards it is uh is really impressive as well was anyone else uh concerned for toby jones when he was handed a brand new fresh donut and like immediately bit into it and i was like sir i i don't know if that's a great idea you need to wait just men were made of harder stuff back then bill They wouldn't even so. blow on their cocoa before taking he, a big drink. He also, he also, Cookie also handed, handled that barehanded. So I was just like, well, Cookie's a baker, I, you know, he's got them baker's calluses. I, I guess, I guess that's I a thing. I, I will never have baker's calluses. So yes. anyway, are there uh, any? I, I really, I really wanted to talk about the scene uh, near the end with King Lou. And the Native American he comes upon. And I really love the choice. It's weird because it's usually kind of a pet peeve to me when two people are speaking another language and they decide not to translate it or only translate bits of it. And I really love the choice to uh, not translate either of them. And my uh, my girlfriend actually noticed because we had subtitles on because some what? of the people in this have the best possible voice. Uh, Any movie with Ewan Bremer, yeah, yes. you got to put subtitles down. Uh, that's true. There's a it, few it, other is people. That, Renee, is that the guy that uh, is hunting them that's real angry? Scottish. It's this, the yes. Scottish guy with the Scottish hat yeah. and the Scottish accent. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, from he's Train in, Spotting. He's in, Wonder he's in Wonder Woman. Oh, he too. is in Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I like anyways, I, I'm not sure if it was just 
uh, that they didn't want to put the same words. But actually, when King Lou and that Native American who are talking to each other to about the boat, and then he gives the buttons, it actually said speaking foreign language and then speaking native language uh, for each of the two people, um, which I thought was really interesting because yeah. it seemed like maybe they were just, you know, I... I can't speak with any authority whatsoever, but I'm wondering if it was maybe different dialects or something like that. But either way, I found that scene um, really, you know, like it's it, it it's very beautiful just in this very like behind the back way that it goes back and forth. But it also it it, it just kind of. Um, emphasized for me the ways that this doesn't really feel the need to comment on Native Americans, like so far away from any, you know, uh, conversation of savagery or anything like that. Like that's not really in this movie at all, which was actually very refreshing to me mm-hmm. just because I feel like it's a it, Michael. It's, it's in everything. Um, uh, the only person who gives um, side eye to um, the chief actor is his wife, Lily Gladstone. Yes. I mean, there's a good story behind what she actually says in that scene. But uh, um, I, I think I think, Michael, you, you're kind of curious about the subtitles in it saying native language and foreign language. I think that may just simply be, uh, you know, a, a relationship between the fact that King Lou is speaking a foreign language in that sense, and the Native American is speaking his native tongue. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you're right. I, I right. To and speak I, to it's, the it's interesting Jewishness. To, sorry. Go I was ahead, just going to say, it, it, it is interesting. I, I had that. I also had subtitles on, um, and I loved the what fact the that they, they what, wrote what is, out ding, 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 and then ding a ling a ling. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I do, I did find that interesting. And I, I, as I've watched more things with subtitles, I do sometimes wonder like, which of these are done by a robot and which of these are done by people? Mm-hmm. Sure. And this definitely felt like one where it was by people because of choices like that. I read milk squirting too many times. I, w- I will say that. <laughs> but I, <laughs> you want to, you want to know the funniest thing on earth? You watch an episode of Shaun the Sheep with subtitles on. <laughs> It's like bleeding, chirping, neighing. But then whenever Bitzer comes up and is like, rah, 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 it says, rah, 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 rah. Uh, was... Subtitles are the best. Yes, yeah. they are. Yep. I, I do want to say the other thing I wouldn't have caught is uh, Toby Jones saying comestibles <laughs> when he says, like, a, a, a when he's talking about uh, one of the. The oily cakes. Of, Yes, when he talks yeah. about the oily cakes and he's like these delightful comestibles. <laughs> I I read what, the subtitles before the people speak the words, and when I saw that word, I got so excited to hear Toby Jones <laughs> say it. <laughs> I was like, "Yes, Toby Jones, say comestibles." What, what the fuck is comestible? It's, it's a like thing an, you eat. A thing that you eat, yeah. <laughs> that, but it's that, like that's just it? the perfect it's... like shitty thing to the it's a dollar <laughs> word for that yeah yeah i believe he says baked comestibles so, uh, yeah. bill bill just so i can be certain i looked it up um the dictionary <laughs> noun comestible an item of food that's it what the fuck that's what yeah. i said i know you were that's dead on like that we're not like we're not belittling it. it it's not even well, like that's four wow. four syllables for food to say food <laughs> 
for food. <laughs> yeah, but how much more like a boss do you sound saying comestible than just food? Yeah, this, but, this I mean, delightful food. You, you've gotta you gotta choose the right audience, and I guess since I don't know, well, like he's speaking I down feel to like them, he wants wrong. them to know that he's a big man on campus with the biggest dictionary that he can slam down on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how did I derail us again? Okay, I don't know. I, to, to Look, I've had a bad day, so like clearly, I am no. <laughs> I'm able to be thrown off of the hump pretty easily. Well, to, to say something slightly more substantial uh, about like the word choice, like I, the reason I put on subtitles is because the language in here I just thought was so consistently, you know, sly and fun to hear. As, as you mentioned, I, I mean, you have like. You know, I, I just love the, you know, it, this movie's not quirky, but I love the uh, kind of collection of characters in that main fort. I, I mean, the trappers have <laughs> a personality, too. I kind of love that that guy pushes the one with like a mini didgeridoo at the tree because <laughs> I couldn't hear that mini didgeridoo for another second. But I, I, either way, like I, I think in the shanty towns, you just have these these characters that just have it's this wonderfully like mumbly sensibility to the way they enunciate and like uh, to um you know a certain like gruffness but also a certain like fragility i mean i mean i i you 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 especially see that with like renee abajon is it renee abajon oh but no it was worth it was worth it just to hear alex laugh at your attempts i knew it was gonna happen so i i preemptively yeah uh, average noise yeah, right like, you know that's is that it i did between that and Com- the man comestible like, after my infant because i'm gonna punch this guy uh <laughs> i i just think there's a really great sense of texture without it only being like look at all these mean guys in the town. Like, I, I think they do a good job of giving that sense. I, I guess it is lawlessness, but it's not like everyone's an outlaw or everyone's evil or anything, but it's, it's really in the sense of what Alex was talking about, like the middle ground between wild, wild West and like this, uh, burgeoning civilization. Well, I mean, I I feel like that's that's every up and coming town, particularly in in North America when you know we, I guess, yeah, that's the <laughs> right word. Unfortunately, uh, when You're we were settling, <laughs> when the fuck did your family get here? <laughs> uh, I have no idea, to be honest with you. Um, anyways, uh, when we were settling this this country, um. You know, as as populations build up, what is one of the first things that happens? Lawmen are kind of brought in or like, you know, uh, appointed and stuff like that. Right. And so there's there's as a community kind of grows, all of a sudden law and order has to kind of take shape. Right. Um, I mean, like that's like the entire arc of the entire series of Deadwood. Like if you really mm want to get down to it. I, I've never watched Deadwood. Oh my God, Bill! I know, I know. I sure, need to but I, I still think this has a very te- different texture. Than, oh yeah, than I mean, it's it I is weirdly that. even the violence is gentler. Like it feels as though that dude and William fight every single day. <laughs> <laughs> 
it does. had the cadence of like, ugh, there's Janet. I got to go over and pretend I don't want to dance with her until I dance with her. Yeah. Well, and you can <laughs> see it, like, It's really so- fun. That the fight is funny because you see it happening through the window while Cookie and King Lou are reconnecting <laughs> and having their like, oh, it's so great to see you into the background through the window. You see these guys just brawling. I was <laughs> almost certain happens. that they were going to get stuck with that baby because that big guy was going to die. <laughs> and I was like, is this just going to be like the friendliest donut based like remake of There Will Be Blood? <laughs> I like two men and a baby uh, raising Arizona. There will be oily cakes. And I just like, I'm like, what's Cookie's version of Bastard in a Basket going to be? <laughs> Dad, I don't want to make oily cakes. I want to make normal cakes. You are a bastard in a basket. A, a beignet in a bassinet. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, um, yeah. So I was like, I, I, I was sort of like, that would be hilarious, and I'd love for these two men to also have a child they're raising together. But I'm sort of glad it didn't go there because uh, if it did, my God, where is that baby now? Then again, given the state that that dude was in, my God, where is that baby now? <sighs> but yeah, I think I think the more we've talked about this, the more I've 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 come off as positive on it. Though I, again, I still I still feel like for whatever reason, I think it was just I was not in the mood for its languid. That's you know, right. Whatever. But I, I think I think on the right day, in the right frame of mind, I would have liked this a lot more. But I, I still found a lot to enjoy here. Every every furtive glance and gentle caress between Cookie and the cow was just electric. You're desperate. We've we've done way too many erotic thrillers on this on this podcast. <laughs> Have lately. we? Yes. Name three. Uh, showgirls. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I would challenge anyone to call showgirls I, I, erotic. There is more eroticism between Cookie and the cow than anything that happens <laughs> in showgirls. I, I don't mean erotic as in that sense, but yeah, no. We, we've done as horny, horny, horny erotic? sex <laughs> thrillers. Horny movies, let's say that. Ver, Verhoeven's a horny director. Yes, he is. So... I, Alex, what did what did Gladstone say in that? I, I'm curious what she was saying to the other Native American in Toby Jones's house. Oh yeah, this is very funny because uh, she she gave us her translation of like what she had yes. said in the scene, and um, so Toby Jones is like waxing poetic for like five minutes about <laughs> beavers and like. Yeah. The meaning of the beaver and how people feel about the beaver. And there the will always the be beaver. a beaver, yeah. And then her translation is like, beavers are popular now. Beavers will maybe be popular again. <laughs> <laughs> and he talks for quite a long time. And then her translation of him is like, is like a couple of sentences as well. Yeah. I am. Yeah. yeah, I really loved that. That was that was awesome. I uh, I always wonder. Like, <clears throat> I I like when a movie doesn't subtitle foreign languages. Um, I think that it's usually done for a very specific reason, mm-hmm. because it either puts you in the mindset of the person who is the protagonist, which is I don't know what that person just said, or it forces you to confront your own limitations as an audience by saying like, if you 
perhaps knew more of the world, you would understand more what is going on. I remember that was a weird complaint against a ghost story was that like they didn't subtitle the uh the hispanic family that moved into the house and i just didn't understand that because like if kc affleck's ghost didn't know what they were saying like you know and why why is it the job of the movie to fill in your own ignorant gaps in in language and understanding and also are you saying that you can't empathize with someone that you don't understand when you can see that they're like clearly a family and so like in this movie when when you get that entire negotiation, it's it's almost thrilling because like I am on the edge of my seat because I there is no way that I know what they're talking about. And then they do the ringing sounds and then he starts pulling buttons off of his coat. And I'm just like, that's a whole tense little negotiation scene that like I didn't get, but I got to see the end of that I really, really loved. Yeah, but you're going to have to I, watch the Canadian film, uh, A Day in the Life of... Uh, Noah Pugatuk because it's all this it's all a, an interaction and negotiation between um, this white guy from the government and um, a, a group of Inuit men and they have a translator who's like translating badly and it's not always clear whether he's translating badly because he is not able to translate better or if he's deliberately making choices that are not quite accurate huh that actually you do yeah, get subtitles you're gonna have to send me that you, one I, I need I need to defend my honor it's and clarify movie, my actually, point. It's on movie, actually, in the U.S. <gasps> oh. Um, I, Again, I, okay, that's slash film stage. Okay. I watched a movie recently called The Outpost that I fucking hated. And uh, at one point in the movie, the only way that um, Afghani villagers are uh, talked to is through a translator. And that was a scene that I hated. I think that there are great ways to use translation, things being lost in translation, yeah. et cetera. But I also think that it can be used as a storytelling prop. In the case of a ghost story, I did think that was just kind of, I thought it was kind of lazy. Like uh, it, it, it didn't strike me as that Hispanic family. Uh, like this was a limitation. <coughs> excuse me, a limitation on my language, or excuse me, a limitation on my capabilities that I couldn't understand them. I saw it as this might as well be nonverbal for Lowry, so he's going to put it in another language, as in that these people only exist as props to be haunted. That's that's why that is a lot weaker to me than something like this, which and not only I found spellbinding as a scene. Jesus Christ, I said spellbinding uh, <laughs> that I found Bewitching, uh, enchanting, seductive, combustible like a cow. Oh God! Comestible, Bill. Found, comestible. Oh, comestible. <laughs> comestible is, is, is a that's a fire. It's a fire. <laughs> An incendiary scene. <laughs> My point is, a, a ghost story is not very good, and the outpost is really bad. Well, I haven't seen the outpost, so I, well, so I can't say anything. Socialism. Have you seen that? That was a funny, fun movie where, like, Jean-Luc Godard, Godard. refused to put. Yeah, I know. He refused to put subtitles on there. Um, and I remember when I saw it at <clears throat> TIFF, the whole audience was like complaining, like, put the subtitles on, put the subtitles on. And somebody had to come in and be like, yeah, there aren't any subtitles. That's deliberate. <laughs> that happened. And I mean, I speak French and I still was sure. like, this movie makes no sense. That happened to me when I went and saw The Wind That Shakes the Barley in a theater in Washington. <laughs> <And> people, <laughs> really? 
Yeah, because people were like, oh, it's in English. And then, you know, that first scene where they're playing uh, hurling and they're just it's like lame. shouting at each other. And then they're like talking to Killian Murphy and being like, you, you know, leave it on the Sunday, doc. And it's just like, what the shit did that guy just say? And then people are like, is this English? Are they talking Irish? At what point am I supposed to understand? And it really fucked people up when the first words that they understood clearly where the bulldog black and tans who came in started cursing at the Irish people and then fucking murdered one of them. Well, in your country, they regularly do put subtitles on Ken Loach's films, but that's a whole other. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they were expecting well. it, but for whatever reason, they, yeah, did they not, don't do it here. They did not do that oh, on really? the wind that shakes the barley mm-hmm. and people were not, not happy about it. Um, I don't, I'm not going to, I, I'm not going to argue with you, Michael, about ghost story, a film that I love. Um, <laughs> Oh, my phone was terrible. Uh, I'm done with both of you. Um, <laughs> that's a movie that I could say I, it proves that I, uh, I, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm down with a slow movie. Oh, thank you, Alex. <laughs> I'm glad say? to see you're getting comfortable here. <laughs> what did you say? She guess, said, "Have no Alex? taste." Oh, okay. All right, Alex, guess, you should Alex. bring up Ad Astra. <laughs> You should hear what I say to the guests on my own podcast. You're wrong. Shouldn't have invited you. I uh, have been ever since Michael was like, we have to bring guests on. Or I don't know if you said have to bring guests on, but you're like, I have guests. And I'm like, oh, shit, I have to be nice to these people. Um, Gloves are off now. Yeah. Now that you've broken the dam, uh, we can get down to it. Uh, Gloves started off, Brian. Don't even. (laughs) It was no personal insults like you have no taste. I, but the I issue is that, that I actually. I was assuming that's where it was going. <laughs> Brian's going to say the issue is that I, I actually have lost the sense of taste. Oh, COVID. Hey, you don't understand. I am. Um, I have had a scented candle lit just so that I can be like, yep, it's still there. Um, what what smell is it? Um, I have two of them. One of them is tobacco and vanilla, and the other is pine. Ew. And <laughs> you don't, you've never smelled like tobacco, vanilla. It's not like like used cigarette tobacco. Cigarette. It's like yeah. cured, <laughs> rich, earthy tobacco. It's <laughs> used cigarette scented candle. <laughs> right, that's Ashtray. the thing. It's not. It's not your grandfather. You know. <laughs> At like six o'clock in the afternoon asking for a hug. It's let's step into this barn in picturesque North Carolina and breathe in these dried tobacco leaves. And then it's like leather and vanilla. And it's just like, it's really good. It's a really good scent. Um, And then the other one is um, it's a tri-layer of pine, some sort of teak, and then a campfire. I am. Um, I really like scented candles. Uh, if anyone would like to send me a scented candle, <laughs> just reach out, DM me, and I will take it and I will review. If you've made the scented candle, I will review it on this episode <laughs> or this episode, this podcast. Do you like-, like a massage chair to really uh, relax, Bren? <laughs> well, we'll know when you say, I don't know. You sent me. A, you said it was a scented candle, but I don't smell anything. <laughs> That's when I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> it was a false negative COVID test. Zero stars. This orange citrus scented candle smelled like nothing at all. Cough, cough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to get back. <laughs> Is that happening, like on Amazon? 
this I don't know why they said this hot sauce was five chili peppers. I didn't taste a thing. (laughs) By the way, I also thought it would clear out my sinuses, but I still can't breathe. Okay, I think I think are we, we, we are we wrapping up? Is that yeah. now that Alex has insulted me and we've started talking <laughs> about scented candles? Have we reached the end? Um, does anyone yeah. have any final thoughts on this movie they want to throw out before we say goodnight? I want a pastry, and I don't have any at my apartment right now, so this is a problem. Um, okay. you could you could order from GoPuff. Are you talking about another scented candle? No, go puff. <laughs> go puff is um is the uh it's a it's a, I don't know it's fucking it's like a DoorDash but for convenience stores. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I see. Yes, I'm looking for the nearest fractured prune, and the question now becomes: Do I want to drive forty miles for one of these? <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, now we know why it was such a good business idea. Yeah, because I'm I'm still addicted. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's wrap it up. There's one in Arizona, <laughs> but there's one not in DC. This is bullshit. Um. Yeah. Uh, Did you guys ever get a copy of my book? Because I gave it to Michael to distribute to you guys. What? He never gave that to us. I put it in the slack. This is a lie. (laughs) No, he did, but I didn't want to read it until I saw the movie, and then I was going to see the movie this Friday, and then my life exploded. And so I didn't have a chance to read it before uh, or after. I didn't have a chance to read it after I saw the movie. I thought about reading one of the essays to my daughter as a bedtime story, but she (laughs) refused. She um this is actually a cute she story. Could do better. She um she came downstairs with like 5 minutes left to go in the movie. And I was like I got to keep watching this movie. I need to finish this movie for the podcast and she comes down and she's like, "Daddy, what are you watching?" And I was like, "It's called First Cow." And she's like, "Where's the cow?" And I was like, "I think you've missed it. I don't think the cow's coming back." <laughs> and then she sits down and I'm like, "Why don't you go into the kitchen and like get a granola bar?" And she's like, "No, I want to watch." And I was like, "Oh my god, like this movie has been straight up G-rated, but I know that these two dudes are going to die." And I was so, I was so, so worried that like the last 2 minutes are going to be a passion of the Christ-esque murder scene. G-rated except for Cookie and the Cow. Yeah, no, I'm glad that I don't have to explain. Like now, you know, honey, I know, you know, you've oh, lived a sheltered man. life so far, but sometimes a man meets a cow and they make I, I something beautiful together. Romance. I can't imagine that romance with subtitles on. Yeah, like Michael said, there was a lot of milk squirting. Oh, no. In fact, the scene with the tree branch breaking, it was milk squirting. Yes crack like branch creeks or something and then milk squirting branch creeks and i was just like (laughs) it was so amazing again funny but not as funny as sean the sheep with subtitles all right let's wrap it up wrap it up wrap it up wrap it up uh yes so everyone is is good right we we're 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 done with uh, our statements no one has a final thought yeah, I want to say real quick, we have not mentioned William Tyler at all, who does the soundtrack. He, uh, I, I think he does a lovely job. It's it's definitely, like other Reichert uh, scores, a little bit 
more ambient in the background. But uh, yeah, I think it's a really good score. And I also just highly want to recommend William Tyler, who I've been obsessed with in the last couple of years uh, and particularly love his early album, uh, Impossible Truth. So that's a music recommendation. This, for is, the, this is his only uh, credit as a composer. It was yes. his first time composing. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. Um, I uh, I liked it at times. Whenever it came to the forefront, I did not. Well, you know what, Brian? This is another forty-minute opinion. <laughs> right, because as Alex has said, I don't have any taste. <laughs> oh God, this is just going to be the future of the film stage show. Yeah. Well, as Alex said in the previous episode, I don't have any taste. As has been established canonically by Alex Heaney, I don't have Ooh. any taste. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what's going to happen. We're great to guests. We have no taste. (laughs) Wow. Totally fine. That's still a pull quote as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Um, so that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us as we talked about first cow and the, and the sorry state of like the pandemic response across the globe. I, um, I keep thinking of, not to take us back to the pandemic thing, but just very briefly, I keep thinking of how California was like, ha ha, fuck you, New York. You guys suck. We're doing pretty okay over here. And then like two months later, LA was a hellscape just like New York was. And I am so nervous that the rest of the world is currently like, ha ha, fuck you, United States. Like you guys are doing terrible. And then they're going to start opening stuff. And it's all going to go to shit and it's going to be like that, but on a global scale. And um, Alex, your concerns that you voiced earlier did not do anything to ameliorate the fact (laughs) that that might very well happen. Um, So I'm hoping that I am proven wrong and thus not only don't have any taste, but I'm a complete idiot as well. We don't have anywhere near as much virus as you guys have. The number of people infected in the U.S. is like a quarter of Canada's population. That's an impressive stat. Just keep bragging. (laughs) (laughs) It's easier for you guys to social distance. There's just so few of you. (laughs) And you're you're so polite, though. (laughs) Yeah, always stepping aside and being like, pardon me, excuse me, over there. Um, Ten feet apart. (laughs) Damn it, we went through a whole goddamn episode about people making donuts with a Canadian and we didn't bring up Tim Hortons once (laughs) god this really is an off day um anyway let's uh let's wrap it up Uh, again you can give to our patreon by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money um tell us in our food slack uh what's your favorite oily cake you ever had Um, comestible Yes, what comestibles bring you the most joy during these trying times? Bill, I'm so what glad that we've introduced like <laughs> it, it. In this, I taste London, a memory of London. Um, Jesus. God, Toby Jones, that guy. Is he ever going to play like a romantic lead in something? <laughs> he's, always like a, he's always a rat. Does the Truman Capote, <laughs> did he have a, ro- uh, a uh, romantic partner in that? I can't remember. I don't know. What did they do with Jed Perry in that movie? Because I remember <laughs> I remember that was a big part of, of Philip Seymour Hoffman's Capote movie was his. I sure, feel sure. like we're not wrapping up. We're wrapping up. This is how we wrap up, baby. <laughs> 
these are the tangents that don't even have oh wait no this one does have something to do with the movie anyway uh so yeah patreon.com slash film stage show also don't forget to go to movie mubi.com slash film stage for your free 30 trial of movie they've got that movie by robert roger michelle on and um alexini what was the movie that you said was on there uh one day in the life of noah pugatuck excellent yes i am looking forward to checking that out so again, that's mubi.com slash film stage. Now, let us, uh, well, no, wait, Michael, what are we talking about next week? Do we have a thing? She dies tomorrow with guest Katie Reif. Excellent. Looking forward to talking about that. Um, and now, between now and the next time, let's tell the fine folks at home where we can be found. We, of course, will begin with our guest, Alexini. Where can people find more of your work? Well, if you want to get a copy of our book on uh, Kelly Reichardt, which features all these uh, interviews with uh, everyone involved with First Cow, you can do that at reichartbook.com. That's reichartbook.com. Um, we, you can also find me. We're doing this series of uh, live-streamed conversations with filmmakers every Sunday um, until the end of August. Um, and I think this is going to run this week? Yes, probably tomorrow. So, okay, so on Saturday... I'm sorry, on this coming Sunday, we've actually got Mike Lee for we don't know how long because we suggested an hour and he said maybe we need two and a half. Uh, (laughs) Okay, Mike Lee. (laughs) Um, So we we, we've actually got past sessions with one with uh, Lily Gladstone um, and who is, of course, in both First Cow and in Certain Women and one with um, April Napier, who did the costumes for uh, First Cow and Certain Women. So you can check those out at LockdownFilmSchool.com. And if you uh, sign up, you can actually join the Zoom call so you can ask your questions live with folks like Mike Lee. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at B Weston asked B-W-E-S-T-C-I-N-E-A-S-T-E. If you've never seen a Mike Lee movie, uh, go on IMDb, look up Mike Lee, and just look at the profile picture that has been selected for him. <laughs> and Is that the will... Oscar Roundtable one? It's the one where he's like got his head, like his his hand yes. on his chin, and is just like witheringly gazing. This is the, yeah. the Hollywood Reporter one, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, um, like an, it's with like uh, what's his fucking name from Joker. Tom, Tim, uh, no, Todd, Todd uh, Phillips, (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix, (laughs) Robert De Niro. I think he was in that one. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, it's a great picture. Um, so Bill Graham, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cable BFG, but, uh, mainly just look for me on Instagram, uh, at Billstagram where I post puppy pictures and all sorts of other uh comestibles uh what that I, <laughs> you're gonna eat your other, dog are you calling your no. dog edible dog. no this is like other, when you it, called what was that? oh boy new no. <laughs> yes what <laughs> uh don't ask alex don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> what was the is that me by you, your name? No, I don't no, know. No, t- he was talking about like baby mice or something. <laughs> yes, yes. And I was like, Bill, do you know what nubile means? He's like, I don't know, young. And I was like, that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so Bill, you're not going to eat your dog. No. 
No. No. Good. Good. Comestible. Good to good to hear. Oh Christ, Michael Snydell. <laughs> uh, on on Twitter at Snydell on Letterbox. Uh, <laughs> so I, sad. No, I, I I need a new series after we finished the three Blade movies for some reason, <laughs> um, and we then we did a Channing Tatum marathon. But now I'm maybe getting back to good movies. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what, what else? What else? What else? Uh, no no writing this week. Uh, okay, so um, I totally planned this. I didn't plan this. Uh, the intermission episode that just came out and is public now is Certain Women with Orla Smith, who uh, Alex might be familiar with <laughs> as they uh, wrote the book together. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that's that. And this week there will also, the next intermission episode, it will be Antonio Campos's Christine with Cody Carell, uh, who was a previous guest on The Farewell, I believe. <laughs> All right. As for me, uh, you can, of course, find my stuff at my personal site, BrianJRowan.com. You can follow me on every single social media platform at Brian J. Rowan. That is Twitter. That is Facebook. That is Instagram. Where I don't post pictures of comestibles, I post pictures of random bullshit that I take pictures of. Um... I realize now that my Instagram is probably at this moment mainly my daughter, so I feel very bad about using the term random bullshit. Um, that is it for today. Aside from the fact that you can also find every episode of this here podcast at thefilmstage.com along with other writings from us. So ladies and gentlemen, don't forget next week we're talking about She Dies Tomorrow. Tune in next time. They both are satisfied Illuminate the nose On their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you When your soul 